writes in the second letter we have that he wrote to this congregation in Corinth of Greece, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Can we say all comfort? All comfort. Who comforts us in all our tribulation. Can we say all trouble? All so he's a God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. Can we say any trouble? trouble. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So when God gives us comfort, it's not just for us to keep, but it's it's for us to give away to others. For as the sufferings of Christ, verse 5, abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, the word consolation also means comfort. Comfort in spite of discouragement, or comfort coming out of or in the midst of discouragement. The the Lord consoles us or comforts us. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Now, that's not that, oh, great, they're suffering, hallelujah. (laughs) But no, they're going through hard times too. And I'm not alone in my struggles. Right. So it's important as leaders that we that we're uh, transparent with you know with what God is doing in our life, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. So when we come through things, the comfort we receive is effective to help other people who suffer the same way. Or if we are comforted, so if we're troubled, it's for your consolation. Or if we're comforted, it's for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast. It's a solid hope. Because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. In his letter to the church in Philippi, he talked about knowing the Lord in the fellowship of his sufferings. So knowing that the Lord has suffered actually comforts us when we're suffering. Oh, Lord, this is what it was like for you. Uh, I remember years ago, I was down in the dumps. I was parking cars for a living. Chasing parked cars. Um, You know why bulldogs have flat noses? Just chasing too many parked cars. Chasing parked cars for perfectly healthy people who can go get them. Meaningless. And I read an article, I think, in Charisma magazine about uh, what was happening during the Gulf War. So this is like 1991. And they were baptizing soldiers like crazy in the desert. You know, they dig a hole and put a tarp in it and then empty water bottles in there and baptize folks. And one of the chaplains was quoted as having said, I was born to do this. I am living the life I've always dreamed of. And uh, I didn't receive comfort from that. (laughs) I compared myself, you know, which Paul said isn't wise to do. And so I had to go pray. I mean, is any afflicted? Let him pray, man. When you're troubled, don't just suck it up and accept it and wallow in it. But go pray and pour your heart out to God. And so I pursued the Lord. And... I said, God, I'm 30. 
doing nothing with my life, absolutely nothing, and other people are seeking fulfillment, what is the deal? <clears throat> he said, he spoke to my heart. Well, I was 33, having the time of my life, and it got cut short. <laughs> You've got your whole future ahead of you. <laughs> but I, I had to leave my hard work in the hands of those guys. <laughs> and it gave me a taste of just part of his suffering that I hadn't thought of before. You ever delegate something to somebody and then it's agony for you to watch? <laughs> and you have to put up with it because you delegated it, right? <laughs> if you micromanage those to whom you delegate to, it's not good. You might lose them. It's just... May as well do it yourself kind of deal. And so it gave me a picture of the Lord's suffering in a way I needed, and it comforted me, and I was fine. I was fine. So it's with that spirit. I don't come as a know-it-all, but hopefully out of some comfort I've received, I'm able to comfort others. So with that being said, the other side of the card, here's what we're actually going to talk about. We're going to talk about raising your tolerance level. Now, the word tolerance has been hijacked in our culture all about being tolerant, right? Um, the word gay got hijacked, and I feel it personally because I have a sister named Gayla. <laughs> They've tried to hijack her with the rainbow, but the rainbow still stands. As the Negro spiritual says, the rainbow means no more water, fire next time. <laughs> uh, raising your tolerance level or how to develop a thick skin while keeping a tender heart. As pastors, leaders, even business leaders, I mean, these principles would apply in business, dealing with the public. Uh, it's easy to develop a thin skin and a hard heart. And boy, that is death to us personally, to our relationships, and hard on our ministries. So before we actually get into how to do these things, I just want to uh, kind of build a launching pad Another thing from which I come, here's some of the things I did not learn in Bible college. Now, I'm not saying they didn't teach them. I'm saying I didn't learn them. <laughs> uh, one thing, uh, we are the most dangerous person in our ministries. The AOY, the network of which I'm part of and this group is related to, part of as well, had a guest speaker at a retreat, and that guest speaker made us all mad. His name was John Kelly. He just said some really bizarre things, and Nolan never had him back again. But one thing he said that stuck to me, because it was true, he said, you are the most dangerous person in your church. You, the senior pastor, are the most dangerous member of your congregation. And he didn't say it nice. And then he proved the point. He says, if you mess up, any mess you make will have greater impact. You have the ability to destroy everything. You're the most dangerous person. So in light of that, therefore, I am responsible for my heart's condition. If I've gotten hurt, I've been, I've been hurt, right? So I'm responsible to recognize I have a problem and I need to deal with it. Why? I'm the most dangerous member of my church, and so I need to get some things in order. Otherwise, I'm going to sabotage what God is wanting to use me to do. 
Next, when aware of pain, it is not wise to ignore or deny it. It's never good. As men, many times we're raised in such a way to be tough guys. We're not in touch with our feelings. I'm not saying we need to become crybabies. But if you're hurt, don't stuff it down to deal with that another time. Deal with it in whatever way you have to. You may have to look at yourself in the mirror and speak the truth. Talk to someone and get help. Pursue healing. Unhealed hurt can reproduce itself in relationships. Um, You've been hurt by your church. Hurt people do what? Hurt people will hurt people. And we always have to keep that in mind when people hurt us. They're doing it probably because they're hurting. But because we're hurting, we may hurt others. Ty Cobb, you guys heard of him back in the early 20th century as a baseball player and he was standing up at bat and somebody in the stands, this was back when you could really have an impact on the people playing on the field in professional baseball. Somebody in the, span, in the stands was mocking him and booing him and messing with Ty Cobb's concentration. So Ty Cobb threw his bat down, jumped up in the stands, grabbed the guy that was mocking him and threw him down on the ground and stomped on him with his cleats and left him bleeding and it wasn't many seconds before the whole crowd began to boo him because the guy he stomped on was crippled make matters worse (laughs) (laughs) he beat up a crippled guy so the reason the cripple was so ruthless to him was here was his chance to take out his hurts on somebody else (laughs) <laughs> and he'd get, get away with it, right? Although Ty Cobb didn't. Anyway, Ty Cobb did not score points in the public opinion of him for that. So sometimes people that annoy us and hurt us are hurting themselves. Uh, when hurt, is it, it is imperative to pursue our full healing, not half healing, full healing. Contend with God. Don't stop until your heart is healed. Don't live in denial. The condition of your heart is important. Why? You're the most dangerous member of your church. So the the condition of your heart is a priority for us. Even though we're all about ministering to other people's hearts, our heart needs to be ministered to. Next, it is possible to have a tougher hide with a softer heart. And that comes from the Lord healing your hurt heart in such a way you care for people again but you've got some experience that can help you process. Uh, and next, helpful answers, are, helpful answers are available for us all to seek out. Proverbs talks about treasures that wise men seek out wisdom. So, with that being said, anybody else have anything they could share that you didn't learn in Bible school? Maybe they taught it, but you just didn't learn it. Or what do you wish you would have learned in Bible school that would have come in handy before we go to the next part here? I'm going to stop three or four times and give an opportunity for interaction. Okay. Three keys for growing our pain threshold. It's three things. Uh, One is the why, next is the how long, and next is the who. Remember why we minister. That is our purpose. We're going to talk about our purpose. Recall how long we want to minister, which is connected to our patience. You get too impatient, you'll just quit. 
and recommit who we minister for. We minister as unto the Lord. That is our passion. So if we can increase our purpose, our sense of purpose, our our confidence that comes from purpose, it will impact our pain threshold. If we can grow in the area of patience, it will help raise our tolerance level. If we can keep our passion alive and even stronger than ever, it can help us have a tender heart in spite of what arrows may come our way. I used to, I have a cousin. He's a pastor in Ohio. And I'm sure he grew out of this. But as a kid, he was younger than I. Uh, he had a very low pain threshold. You could thump him. And he would scream like you had punched him. And when his mama would hear him screaming, she would run in and rescue him. And explain to the other cousins. Not that I would thump him. He has a very low pain threshold. He almost choked to death when he was a kid at a camp meeting on some gum, and an ambulance had to come and get him and rush him to the hospital. And since then, he can't take any. He had been so traumatized. He would freak out. And he had an identical twin brother that was normal. But my poor cousin suffered with this. Now he's a pastor. I'm sure he's developing <laughs> developing his his pain threshold. And so there is a, such a thing as a pain threshold. Uh, I, I learned this from, I went to a Gerald Brooks leadership conference. Gerald Brooks is kind of on John Maxwell's faculty or somehow related to John Maxwell. And he pastors, I think, a Word of Faith church in Plano, Texas called Grace Outreach Center. And has leadership roundtables and travels around the country and will have uh, these meetings for leaders and then a conference once a year at his church. So I took some of our staff, the small staff we had then, and went to Plano. And the opening session, this is the only thing I remember at it. Usually at a conference you remember the opening and the closing session, right? Everything else is a blur because of overload, you know. But the opening session was on growing our pain threshold. And so what I have to say is kind of based on what he shared. He said... A church of 50 people will have so many members in it that are kind of annoying, maybe two. A church of 100 people might have four people that bug you, that get under your skin, that don't, wait, don't miss an opportunity to critique you or whatever. Certain percentage of people. I mean, Jesus prayed all night and raised up. Twelve apostles, all of whom disappointed him at one time or another, but one of whom was really a pain, right? The embezzler, the betrayer. So with that being said, a certain percentage of people are going to be hard to deal with, and it's just the nature of what life is. If you have a business, you have so many customers, some of them are going to be great customers, and others are going to be not-so-great cuss. So, with that being said, a church of a thousand may have 40 people that are hard to deal with. And unless you have security guards that can guard you and help you protect the anointing, have you guys ever heard that at a conference somewhere, I'm protecting the anointing, you won't have that luxury. (laughs) 
So his theory was if we can grow our tolerance level, then our ministries, our business, our churches can grow. Uh, if we're an itinerant evangelist, some pastors are really pains. And so the more places you minister, the more likelihood you're going to minister for more painful situations. But if you can grow your tolerance level, the Lord can open more doors for you. He can trust you with more. He doesn't want to kill us with ministry. I mean, he wants us to die voluntarily, right? (laughs) So maybe developing a tough hide is dying more often. I don't know. So how to revitalize our purpose. If we can grow our purpose, it can help us. Uh, First of all, realize what is unimportant. If you don't realize that and have settled it in your heart, people will rattle you, even well-meaning people will rattle you and cause you pain just just with their suggestions. Well, Pastor, we need a choir. Choirs are in the Bible. Yes, but to everything there's a season. And for us right now, that is not important. If you don't know what's unimportant, you'll get rattled. So settle in your heart what's unimportant. Next, uh, retain what is important. There are some things that are important uh, for the future and things that are important for now. What is important is that our guitar is tuned what is important is <laughs> what is important is that we are more hospitable or you know what whatever is important now we got to keep that in our mind and finally recognize what is never up for grabs never joe oakley pastor's grace fellowship church in grand prairie says he met a pastor once that would approach other pastors like this, he'd ask them, what is your vision? And you would tell them, and he'd say, that's our vision. <laughs> so he said, he said, he even saw him do it with other people. Other people would approach him, what is your vision? He'd say, well, what's your vision? And they'd tell him, he said, that's our vision. <laughs> and after a while, you get everybody's vision, you're trying to do it all, your people realize, you know, there's, there's something not right here. There's a dead monkey on the line somewhere. Anybody else have any insights on growing our sense of purpose or knowledge of purpose? Yes, sir. I just wanted clarification on dead monkey on the line. Yeah. <laughs> I just threw that out there. I don't know about that. Tony Evans says it all the time. And when, he's, when he says it, I envision a factory. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. I was thinking a monkey's putting together toys somewhere, <laughs> and the human is at the end of the line receiving these completed products. Okay, okay. <laughs> and something happens where the products are all jacked up. So he goes down the line of monkeys, see what went wrong, and found one of them had died. I don't know. I don't know enough about cranberry to know. Okay. <laughs> I like I like it when he says that because I used to have a monkey. Yeah. Really, the live monkeys are the problem. There's a monkey on the line somewhere. That's funny. 
It's amazing all the all the just the it doesn't have to be really directed at you. If you need to do this, it can be just in the form of a question from a visitor. Do you guys do this? And then you're like, Oh my god, we don't do that. Oh no. What do we and it's, yeah, it hurts. It can it yeah. hurts you. I we're just dropping the ball. We're yeah, the no, dead no, monkey no, on the line, yeah. you know. But if you know the sense of purpose, you're able to give a response and not react. Yeah. And, and right. React to yeah. season also. If you know it's not it's season as a floor, you know, it's good. Well, and I think you know, the whole react, you know, when you say react, and I think, you know, one of the things that um, I've struggled with is is reacting to that. So instead of being proactive, this is what we're doing. This is where we're at. Oh, that's a great idea. Oh, yeah, we need to do that. And so you react to that, you know. And so really, what you're doing is you're you're actually hearing from people rather than hearing from heaven about what our purpose yeah. is and what we're to do. Yeah. And we have to be very careful. Um, those are the things that don't end up not having life. In yes. Them, you know. That's good. There's a church in our town that had a problem with. Visitors doing that? Well, we're not doing that yet. Why don't you be in charge of it? This guy's a visitor. You're right. <laughs> and he give, he's giving visitors positions in the church to start ministries by themselves just because they suggested it. Anyway. <laughs> well, if you pick up, I was thinking, if you pick up all the, those things and you're taking a monkey off the line and put it on your back. Right. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. right. Not to match yes. up to. Uh, right. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, there's good ideas, then there's God ideas, right. Right. and uh, knowing your purpose also helps when people if people will leave. Uh, why did you originally get involved in ministry? What was the sense the Lord gave you? Was it a verse, a phrase, a calling, a vision, a dream? For us, we had been helping this church in Granbury get going by minister to kids, and then eventually we got involved in overseeing the Sunday morning meetings and. And one morning I felt called, knew that we were the guys who called Pastor Owen. He said, we certainly know the people. We've been helping them for like nine months. And so that Wednesday evening we had a potluck dinner with them celebrating Christmas with the whole little congregation. And they asked me to bless the meal. So before blessing the meal, I made the announcement that we felt called to come and serve Granberry as pastor of the congregation. It was all like... Yeah, great, it's about time. And then after dinner, they gave us Christmas cards that you buy for pastors. Happy Merry Christmas, Pastor. And this you know, this thing kind of happened sovereignly. So we, we became pastor of, a, of an existing little congregation that we helped get going by Christmas cards. So they can't just fire us or vote us out. <laughs> but, uh, but often when somebody leaves, moves away, or... or uh, gets mad and stomps off, I remember I'm here to serve this city. I'm here for the for the congregation, obviously, but I'm I'm really here ultimately to serve this city. So if I find out what church they're going to go to, if they left mad, I call that pastor and give them insights, not trashing them. Hey, they really are gifted in certain areas, uh, but they, they need to be communicated with more than the typical person. You know, yeah. things like that serve the city, and that helps me hold on to my purpose rather than, what am I doing here? You know, nobody appreciates me or whatever. Anybody else before we move on to our patients? Can we skip that part? Yeah. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> 
Uh, patience, how to revitalize our patience. Before we fill in those four blanks, let me just say this. Growing your patience takes time. It just doesn't happen like that. The New Testament says tribulation works patience. Uh, I cringe when I hear people say, oh, don't pray for patience. Don't you dare pray. You pray for patience, all hell's going to break out. But think of it like this. Why would just somebody having a great day pray for patience? <laughs> there, everybody's able to be patient, right, when everything's going their way. If you're going through hell, you better pray for patience. Otherwise, you're telling God, God, I'm going to tough this out on my own because I don't trust you. I mean, yeah. so time and prayer will develop patience in your life. And so with that being said, let's go on to the little blanks here. Uh, to revitalize our patience, we must be willing to relearn what we may have forgotten. Now, I hate to learn again what I already know, but you got to realize sometimes knowing stuff is not the same thing as being. Knowledge is, is a poor substitute for reality. You know, I may know how to change the oil on my car, but if I don't do it and it needs it and I don't have somebody do it, that knowledge, you know, my car burns up. Well, I knew how to change the oil. Well, that, see, it didn't do it. So you've got to be willing to learn by experience what you may have forgotten. Uh, well, I already knew that. How come this happening again? Well, obviously the knowledge, unless knowledge is applied, it's not wisdom. It's not, you're not going to get the fruit of knowing something unless it's applied. Next, reflect on enjoying God's patience. When somebody's trying your patience, it really does help me to go to the Lord and say, Lord, when have I done this? You know, somebody stabbing on the back one more time. God, who, who have I stabbed in the back? And if God's been patient with me, I've got to enjoy that and be willing to extend that gift to others. Uh, restrain yourself for the sake of future joys. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. There's a beautiful painting I was given by a member or former member of our church, they've moved to Fort Worth, of Jesus. Kind of a side image of him, kind of blurry, artsy of him. And he's facing... Uh, let's say he's facing this way, and there's gold in front of him. Just, just you know, the, the, the opposing color to his silhouette is gold, and then behind him is red. And it's based on Hebrews 12. For the joy set before him, that's the gold. Jesus endured the cross, that's the red behind him. He despised the cross. He despised the shame. He did it out of love for the joy set before him. We were in front of him. He hated the shame. But for the sake of the future, he endured. And so it is when I'm tempted to be impatient. If I am patient, it will pay off if I restrain myself for the sake of future joys. Because things can be worse, and I can make them worse. 
And next, repent of, perfe- <clears throat> repent of perfectionism. Now, I want to draw a line here between perfection and excellence. Uh, excellence is to excel, to be better than the norm. Uh, when I was a kid, I grew up in Liberia on the mission field, and a couple years I got to go to a, uh American school, private school for Americans, and we had this teacher from the Philippines, and her voice is still in my head where she was encouraging C students to, to improve. And she said, A is good. But B is excellent. (laughs) We're all like, what? She was challenging us to move it up a notch, challenging us to excel. A is good, but B is excellent. The reason you got to repent of perfectionism is it is impossible to be perfect. It may be perfect as you define it, but somebody else is going to define it as imperfect, and that's going to upset you if you find out. Uh, Gerald Brooks shared in his seminar, he says, somebody came to him at the end of one of his services and said, this was the worst church service I've ever been to in my life. And he had been growing his tolerance level. He said, you know what? You think it was bad. you got to consider how hard we worked to make it this bad. Think how bad it would be if we hadn't. <laughs> Trying to excel. Perfectionism will eat your lunch, it will it'll give you ulcers, it'll raise your blood pressure, it'll make you hard to deal with. But excellence is how to improve, how to move it up another knot. You know, to improve. Improvement is good, excellence is great, but perfection is not. It'll kill you. It'll it'll destroy your tolerance level. Anyway. Anybody else have insights on growing in the area of patience? Said so I'm growing it right now, but sitting here listening to you. <laughs> you don't have to come from a position of strength. I mean, we can be transparent here with each other. It is hard to um, to realize how much you do forget. Like God's done something, said something. You're like, yeah, and then two years later, you're like, yeah, wait a minute, this is the fifth yeah. time. <laughs> It's like, oh right. man, really? Am I that dense? <laughs> so it's like giving patience for that and the work that it takes for your your vision to get clear and your heart to change and the healing to come is really difficult. Because we want to get busy and get to work and don't realize sometimes we're tethered to. Yeah. So I have to relearn a lot. Mm. So, not as much as Tim, but a lot. <laughs> yeah, not as much as Tim. That's, that's good. I just I think that you know the um, about a year ago um, you know we're obviously in this building and we've been here for a long time and and um, and there's a growing impatience you know there's there's this thing that we have got to move we got to get out of here and and um, um, and you know about a year ago the Lord really showed me that my attention and my, my focus was on the wrong thing yeah. that um, that really and, and this is a and we talk about forget things so as you walk through a few months then you, you forget that and you walk through a few and you forget that and God has to continue bringing you back but it was about um, 
the, the focus is about growing me, about me spending time in the presence of the Lord and letting God grow me um, so that the church can grow. And, um, and a lot of times we want we want the church to grow, but we but we really don't want to focus on us growing. And I think we have to be patient that if we don't grow, you know, the areas where we're not like Him, we're going to end up wounding people. Yeah. And that we have to we have to get some things straight in our lives so that we can have the capacity to to minister to people the way God wants us to minister. So we have to be patient with ourselves and patient with God's work in us. Um, um, to get us where we're supposed to be, yeah. and um, it, it's not a lackadaisical patience. Right, right. You're, you're seeking to excel, but at the same time, it's this, it's this endurance, this willingness to go through it. Somebody else. Well, and, and maybe you, you put up here, realize what's unimportant, what's important, what never, and what's never up for grab. Maybe it's, maybe it's patience towards the right things. Yeah. Mm. Those things that are important, those things that are never yeah. up for grab. Maybe that's yeah. the. Patience, patience, and endurance. Go ahead. Um, patience and endurance are, are so important. I, I think when we seek to excel, we try to be fresh. We try to be creative. We try to, you know, you know, have a you know new bread from heaven. You know, so obviously it's the it's the bread of life that's you know ageless. But there's certain things in your church that you got to be patient with people to repeat. I learned this at the last mega church con. I go to mega church conferences maybe once a year. <laughs> Any more than that, I feel beat up. <laughs> but I usually get something, and the thing I got from the last one, or the, the one before last, I got this. Mega churches are very repetitive. Every two years, there's this same sermon series just recycled. That is the foundation of what uh, everything they're about, and they shared. They shared this. They admitted this. This was at, at Gateway. They admitted this and said, "It's because when a group changes ten percent, a church of a hundred gets ten new members, or a church of fifty gets five new members, or a church of thirty gets three new members." Said something happens to the group that it's like it changes the group's DNA, and you got to strengthen the purpose again. Our people need these things. Strengthen the purpose again. So I was sharing that, with, sharing that with our men. And one of them said, 10%? He says, I don't know about that. I drive a school bus. And one kid on the bus can change the entire DNA of the whole bus. <laughs> so it's a principle just to keep in mind. And so how do you be repetitive and effective? you got to be patient and understand some things need to be revisited. And I think we can overdo it. By hammering our values, our values, our values, but you got to return to them and strengthen them, and it's good for us to strengthen them too. And that's why these churches—that's one of the keys why they're growing is they're repetitive. Everybody's everybody's involved in the same, the same thing, and so. Recently, I went to Dallas and uh, spoke to a pastor that a church that my dad started. Of course, that's all I—I I, I was raised in home mission church. That's all he did, starting churches. And uh, I, I spoke to him one day, and I, and I, I, I shook his hand, and I said, I wanted you to meet the, the first member of this church. He said, oh, since we built this building. I said, no, the first member. I signed the first membership card there was in this church, mm-hmm. like 50 years ago. <laughs> you know, yeah, literally. Oh, wow, yeah. 
So he's sitting in this church that's run 700 and something people. And I told him, I said, one of the things that we got really in some big faith one weekend, we put out 29 chairs because we were really going to have a service. We were going to have a lot of people. <laughs> he said, I've got more than that in my front row. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. what happens in a church like that is patience has got to be a predominant thing in your life because a church doesn't grow overnight. It was 50 years old before it went from four members to yeah. 700 yeah. or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah some of the fastest church, fastest growing churches in America don't exist anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's exactly. good. That's true. Mm-hmm. But it, Longevity. It's, Wow. Yes. No kidding. Then you wouldn't be opening on Well, just because a church closes doesn't mean all those people are going to go to church somewhere else. You know, it's a, a lot of them get hurt and they won't go anywhere. So patience is important. All right, next, how to revitalize our passion. Um, this, this is so simple, but it's good. Return to first love devotion. There are seven letters in a book called Revelation of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ, the resurrected, reigning King of kings and Lord of lords, personally dictated to seven local churches in a region of the world that we now call Turkey. And one of those churches, he rebuked them for leaving their first love. He said, repent and do the first works. There's some things in our life that birth our ministry, that those things are not to ever be done away with. Um, every few years you hear somebody preaching, God is doing a new thing, saith the Lord. Yes, I'm doing a new thing. And some people go into error because they think the new thing does away with the old thing. No. God builds on the old thing yeah. with the new thing. He's a God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah. I mean, just follow the, the lineage of Jesus Christ. That's his name. Because God is God of history, and he builds on He doesn't dishonor our forefathers. He builds on them. And that's so uh, some people operate as though they, they're coming out of a vacuum. Well, that's, that's the old timers. This is us. No, we honor the past, but we do have to have the new thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, singing 700-year-old songs just doesn't do a number. And 700 years ago, those people wouldn't sing a song 700 years old. Those songs were contemporary at one time. And so every generation needs fresh revelation expressed through their culture. Uh, Every culture needs to be able to express God creatively what they are. So with that being said, what was the foundation of your calling? Where were you at spiritually when you surrendered to the Lord's call? What were the disciplines in your life? What was the what was the good habits, or what was the uh, the memory that stands out the most of where I, I had completely lost a sense of my first love because I was so immature in my younger days. I would fast for seven days and not make it past seven o'clock on the first day. Yeah. I was immature, but I had a passion for the Lord. And one day the Lord showed me, he said, said, I'd rather have you passionately in love with me and immature than the way you are now, mature and just kind of lukewarm. Wow. Yeah. 
All right, next, uh, to restore our passion, to revitalize it, to raise it, to increase it, to turn it up, we need to refresh ourselves with rest. There's nothing like good old-fashioned rest, sleep, a day off. It's good. Doing something different, especially when you're under attack. Uh, there was a, a season in our, ter- in our church where a little segment of people somehow had turned against me and had prophesied my downfall, and they knew why, and I knew why, so they weren't going to tell me why. <laughs> and I just felt soiled on. So I would lay in my office for hours just bewildered, you know, staring at the ceiling, trying to pray, not being able to pray, and the room just kind of spinning. And one of our elders would call me and say, man, just go to the movies. <laughs> worrying isn't going to help these things and revelation came by reading a book called breaking intimidation by john bevere i got it and read it almost nonstop. in one day i read it i usually don't i'm not that ferocious of a reader but it was like water to my soul and all it took was this to realize god called me i didn't call myself and i Walked, I was in a prayer center where I was staying for a couple of days. Walked in the restroom, pointed myself in the mirror, and said, God called you. You didn't call yourself. You need to remember your calling and how He brought you to where you are. And all this other stuff, whatever it is, is a bunch of nonsense. I did that. Suddenly, I had a sense of God's presence. Suddenly, I was able to hear God. What in the world was going on? Well, back in the days of me laying on the floor of my office in the room spinning, God seemed to be silent. You know, it felt like he was conf- his silence was confirming. But after reading John Bevere's book, I realized there's a time when God expects us to stand up and defend ourselves spiritually. Not that I was to retaliate against people. It's kind of like a kid. When a kid learns to walk, when they first begin to fall down, you run and pick them up, right? Oh, I'm so sorry. But eventually, you got to let them fall and stand on their own. And so it is with the leader. There will come a time when God will stop comforting you when somebody's hurt you. <laughs> and when you stand up and begin to comfort yourself and encourage yourself, then he's there to confirm that. Yes, yes, yes. That's good. He doesn't coddle us anymore. And as we learn to encourage ourselves, this empowers us. To encourage others. <laughs> yeah, so, and it restores your passion. That's good. And that would not have happened for me had I not got away for a couple of days to pursue rest. Movies would provide relief. Movies would keep me from doing something destructive <laughs> to those people. <laughs> but it was like you had a right to remain silent. Anything you say could be used against you. So whatever I tried to fix it, it just made it worse. All right, next, refine your time schedule. Um, any more than 50 hours a week, you're just working too much. And I know there's times where you're going to have to work more than that, but make sure that's the average. Uh, our staff, and you know, we're not a big staff, but everybody has a log book or a day timer. And they log their hours, what they did on that day, whatever. And then once a month, they copy that month's log sheets and also print a, a, a type up a list of the top ten things they did that month, and they give it to me. Kind of helps with accountability, but also it helps make sure they're not working too much. Because church work 
and owning your own business, the work is never done. You're, that's the problem with being a perfectionist. You won't stop until you're done, right? Because you, you, things, things, aren't, things aren't perfect unless they're done. Well, in a church, they're never done. It's a work in progress. So you set goals and you seek to pursue them. But even when you meet that goal, each goal met creates another scenario where you've got to have something else. Each ministry established creates another scenario where you've got to have another ministry. You, know? you establish a choir that practices on Tuesday night. Suddenly you've got to have child care. You know? So a time schedule will just help you not work too much. Uh, reset priorities. I used to really suffer with this one. I would, I don't know how many times in a prayer journal I would make a list of my priorities. God, that, children, church, work, yada, yada. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And then the week would get rolling, and before I knew it, I hadn't prayed for three days. Or before I knew it, I'd been neglecting my children. And so then I would make a target, you know, the concentric rings, you know. God, wife, children, church, relatives, yada, yada, yada. And the same thing would happen. And one day, for some reason, I watched a video that our children's ministry had been showing to children's workers. And it was by the executive pastor of Bill Wilson's ministry in Brooklyn, New York. Bill Wilson's a hippie guy, single guy. Uh, from Texas that has a church for children in Brooklyn because all the parents are stoned out of their mind in the ghettos. And it's grown to over 5,000 kids. But Bill has to travel all the time to raise funds because kids don't tithe. 10% of nothing is nothing. (laughs) And he's got to feed them and, you know, keep his buses repaired and all that. So he has an executive pastor. And this guy is busy. And this particular video was talking about priorities. He said, priorities are not a target, and they're not a list. Priorities are a wheel. And you want to make sure all the spokes in the wheel are in place. There's the God spoke. There's the wife spoke. There's the children spoke. There's the church spoke. There's the administrative spoke. Here's the finances spoke. Here's the, you know, the, the rest spoke. And he says, to stay balanced, you want to keep your wheel rolling. So that all the spokes are making contact somewhere in your life. So if you're at home playing catch with your son, or fishing in my case, I would fish with my son and be tormented because I wasn't at the church studying. Sunday was coming. (laughs) He said, you're doing something fun with your kids? Guess what? He says, you're doing it for God. He's still involved in every scenario of our life. You take the God spoke out, the whole wheel will fall apart. I can't tell you how much that just freed me to keep the spokes in their place, keep my my world moving. Otherwise, you lose balance. You become imbalanced if you just plan on one spoke. Anyway. Uh, retreat strategically. Yes. Just to add to what he was saying, with that uh, the spokes or even a pie shape, know the season that you're in. Like, you know, you still have smaller children. So there's more demands on you in that area. Don't feel bad that you can't be, you know, at the women's ministry thing when you've got someone to take care of that. Just thank you, Lord Jesus. Or, you know, know the season that you're in and 
you may not be able to pray as much during this one particular season because you're working really hard on something else. God's not mad at you with that. Just, God, thank you. Just give me grace to walk through this. And then there's another season that is just as important, but these other areas are not as big of a quote-unquote priority. That's the season God wants you in at that moment. And just trust him to give you grace to walk through that season. And that's another way to just keep that spike, those spikes. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Back to the logbook idea. It brings comfort to my heart when I do it that should a spoke need more attention than others and somebody says, you weren't at the church all week, I'm able to break out the book. It's never happened. And say, look, I was ministering here, 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 here. You know, it keeps me accountable to, to my leaders too should they ever call me into account. That's good. Uh, next, retreat strategically. Now, getting away... Pastor Olin says, get at least 30 miles away because there's different principalities and powers that don't know you're in town yet. (laughs) Uh, Get away strategically. Now, going to see Ken folks may be a cheap way to have vacation time, but it may not be strategically. It might be. I mean, we just did did a big trip to D.C. for a vet sister's 70th. And my, and then to Atlanta for my parents' 60th. So it was a week-long thing visiting relatives, but it's very strategic, very strategic. And, and so, you know, we did it for them more than for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and strategically could be retreat just with your spouse to get away. There are pastors and leaders retreat centers all over the nation. People feel led by God to devote this part of their house or this part of their ranch for for leaders, and they're waiting on people to show up. Uh, Focus on the Family has a network of these places. Uh, the Catholic Church has monasteries with guest quarters in them. You have to do some digging, but you can find some pretty creative places to go, and it not cost a lot of money. In fact, if you have no money, you can make arrangements with them and say, hey, I don't have it. My church doesn't have a dime for this, but I need to get away with the Lord. Uh, getting away with your spouse is important. Jimmy Evans wrote a book called Mountaintop Marriage. And it's a little guidebook for a retreat. And you work the guidebook in setting goals for each area of your life, about eight areas of your, of your family life. You set goals, you talk. In the morning, you do something fun in the afternoon and evening. Do that for five days. You come home with fresh vision for your marriage, for your for your ministry, for your life. Yvette and I did it and came home and started a second service. If I just work, 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 trying to make the church grow, I wouldn't have gained that understanding with my wife. Uh, it's important to get away by yourself. And I, I've not ever gotten away for for the purpose of gaining time with God, nothing else, that... I have not come back with something that impacted the church. And I didn't learn it at some conference or whatever. But it, it'll, it, you come back with more passion, more strategy. Uh, receive revelation. People will say, oh, the key, to, the key to church growth is worship. The key to church growth is the presence of God. That's great. I love the presence of God. I love worship. But if you're not receiving revelation from God in that, you're encouraged, you're enthused, you're inspired. That's important. 
But revelation helps it last. What is the Lord speaking to you while you're doing carpet time? Uh, restore thankfulness. If we're feeling like I'm burned out, I need a vacation, and you can't get one. Just make a list of the top ten things to be thankful for, and you'll wind up encouraging yourself just writing down those things. And being thankful is an act of obedience. It's one of our purposes as a human being is to return thanks. Unthankfulness is a sin that God groups in with blasphemy and all kinds of other uh, disorders. And next, rekindle friendships. And by that, I'm not talking about just finding some old friend you haven't known in years and rekindle that, but I'm, I'm talking about keeping, putting logs in the fire of relationships, keeping in touch with each other, because we encourage each other. In our town, there's a group of pastors from, you know, there might be 10 of us if we all came on the same day, but we're from, from being retired to, to being a church planner, to being Baptist, to being AG, to being non-denominational and we're we just meet and have fun some new pastors come and they don't like it because it's not spiritual <laughs> but it does become spiritual if somebody's discouraged yeah, right. somebody needs prayer or somebody wants to quit so why do you want to quit the same kind of people are going to be in the next town <laughs> anybody else have insights on restoring or, or recovering or growing in the area of our passion Well, don't get overwhelmed. Just grab one. Well, I think I, the, so. So, you know, per, perfectionism hits me. You know, um, I didn't realize this uh, until a while. You know, just just very recently. Um, I have a brother, and I was—he's a perfectionist, and I always thought, you know, he's he's a perfectionist. And he needs freedom. And then I figured out that I, I had that same thing. It just manifested differently. Yeah. But um, um, so I see, I see, I see that. I see um, um, the need for. I think the time schedule hits right on that. That that the work is never done. Yes. It's just never done, and um, and it's okay. It's okay for it not to be done. There's tomorrow. And, um, and so when you when you showed when you talked about the picture of the wheel, you know I pictured actually God the, at the center, the hub yeah. of the wheel, and every, all the spokes coming out of that. Right. So that everything's so that everything we do becomes spiritual. That everything we do, God is in it. Right. And so you know time with with our our spouse, time with our kids, time. That that is a God ordained uh, moment, and yeah. and it can you know when you talked about you know, this meaning that it's not spiritual, but it it can become spiritual. And I think that's it. I think no. is approaching it where it's not a list of to dos, but this is this is part of the spoke. Yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. And it's a part, yeah. and, it's, yeah. and it's all connected yeah. to Him. I, I think God is the hub, and He is a spoke. Yeah. He's he's a he's a priority, but he knows we have other priorities, and it's all because of him. Yeah, he is the center. That's good. Yeah. That's good. That's real good. Anybody else? Anything else? So, wheel in the middle of the wheel. 
Yes. Did you see wheels? I have read that over and over again and compared Ezekiel's was Ezekiel's vision yeah. to what John saw. And I think it's those those me faced creatures that have this wheel in the middle of the wheel beside them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're kind of like segways, the way I see it. Does they move this way or this way? Kind of like a rook on a chessboard moves. Right? A rook moves straight, sideways. They move like that. And the wheel in the middle of the wheel, I see them as perpendicular. Just if I was an artist, I'd draw it as perpendicular to each other. And so whichever wheel makes contact, that's the direction it goes. I don't know what the purpose is there. But <laughs> the wheels are full of eyes. It's just one of those freaky things. But. Yeah. Whichever way the Spirit of the Lord leads, yeah. that was the way the wheel went. Yeah. The, the, and the way the wheel goes is the way that the, the direction of the face. And the face of a man, the face of a lion, the face of an eagle, the face of an ox. The face of an ox to me symbolizes a ministry. There's a time that spoke has to be priority. The face of an eagle, that's Worships, mounting up with wings as the eagle. There's times when worship is a priority, just me and Jesus. Ox has got to go with us. This is the priority. And then there's the face of a man, got to realize we're human. We've got family, we've got relationships. relationships. That's important. The face of a lion, that's when you deal with obstacles and fight. And, you know, some people are just lions. You know, they're all about spiritual warfare. You want to you run your church in the ground, just become spiritual warfare. You know? It's all about balance and emphasis. But. That's really good. I have two comments. I think anything we do has to come out of a heart of faith, trusting God, mm-hmm. you know, with whatever circumstance we're in. And then the other, you know, with the calling He's put on our life, the vision He's put in our life, yeah. if you set it, God, it's going to happen. We're just going to trust you, you know. Yeah. And then the other thing with the tolerance level is acknowledging when your tolerance level is low. You know, like a, a glass, when I do counseling, I always liken it to, uh, we, can, we can only take so much stress, anybody. We all have stress in our lives. But, but when that stress level comes to the top of that glass, there's no space for you to just deal with stuff. You're just going to bubble over and freak out and blow up and be mad and angry. So it's good to acknowledge, wow, my tolerance is really low right now. Show me why. God, help me if I need to repent or if I need ministry or inner healing. God, show me so that I can release that, let that tolerance level go back down and just be conscious of the grace of God working that through my life. You know, Jesus was fully human, tempted in every way as we were. And there were times he got away from people. Obviously, we say, well, he loved his father, yes, but... He had a tolerance level too. He was human. <laughs> he had to deal with the sons of thunder and and this impetuous Peter and all that stuff. So if you're feeling like you're stuck, you know something. There's a barrier in some way. There's nothing like just getting away.